With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. Uh, just to wrap up what we were discussing, and again, I'd encourage you to get over Horns 24-7 and check out The Insider. Um, I do want to read this quote from The Insider, though, Cam, before we get off the topic of Paul Christ and the special assistants, and I do want to talk about uh, Payam Sudat while we got time. This is a quote uh, from Chris Del Conte. At, uh, and by the way, there's a lot of stuff in here from uh, SEC spring meetings down in Destin. It's kind of an insider piece on what's going on in Destin. Uh, but this is a quote from Chris Del Conte about Paul Christ and Steve Sarkeesian hiring him. Uh, CDC said it's, it's a move that shows Sark is, quote, unquote, egoless. Uh, it's a quote, it just gives you a different way to look at things. What I love about it is you're egoless. You don't have to have a big ego. You can say, look, I don't have all the answers. Paul Christ, what did you do in this situation? I think that's a great trait. Coach Saban has done that for years at Alabama, and I love that Steve does that. It's a different way to, if you're going to play someone, say, how would you do this? Or what do you think of this? Having someone else who's done it at the highest level speaks volumes about Steve's leadership. That's the way I look at it. Pretty pretty good uh, pretty good compliment from the boss I think to any, the head football coach. Anytime you're copying moves that Nick Saban makes, I mean, look at Kirby Smart. He's done the same thing now that Saban did. You know, he, he hired – well, Muschamp on as an analyst, and now Muschamp is a co-defensive coordinator who helped win them a national championship last year and helped build one of the greatest defensive lines possible. My my football spirit, football my football spirit animal, Will Muschamp. Yeah. So, and, and this move does show like what, like what CDC said, and this might be you know drinking too much of the Kool Aid, but it, it does show I think that Sark isn't stuck in his ways. Right? He brings in when I, when I think of Steve Sarkeesian and his offenses. I don't think really of Paul Chris in Wisconsin, right? I think of two different type of styles. I guess they're both predicated on establishing the run game, but they go about it in different ways, right? That's what, and again, that's why I think it's not so much maybe schematics as much as as it is philosophy. Yeah. And again, just the fact that Sark can use Paul Chris as a sounding board. It's really where he's going to miss Gary Patterson a mm-hmm. lot because apparently he balanced a lot of stuff off GP, and and we saw we saw some growth in Sark in 2022. Uh, so you can get over to Horns 24-7 and check out more of that. I do want to mention, though, Payam Sudat, Cam, because we haven't talked a lot about him. And I've just done some just some quick searching through the Google machine on the double eagle flex defense that he's been a part of, uh, that he helped run at Army when he was the co-DC there. And the gist of it is with the double eagle flex, kind of what it does, it's, it's – it, the roots of it are in the Desert Swarm defense that Dick Tomey ran at Arizona. Uh, Dwayne Aquino was a part of that defense that uh, Dick Tomey ran at Arizona. NBU. Yeah, and the main thing that I took away from it, and I'm, I'm still very much in the, the genesis of the research, if you will, on the double eagle flex. A lot of it's based on positionless football and using hybrid players. And in this era of football, as we talk more about positionless football and the kind of guys you're going to recruit, especially off-ball linebackers and edge guys, a lot more of those guys, they're being asked to do a lot more things. Your nickel position also kind of falls into that too. So I think the better understanding PK can have about a system that truly relies on hybrid players and positionless football, I think maybe the better it can help him maximize 
what Texas has on the edge positions because other than Baron Sorrell, who's a proven commodity, you don't have any proven commodities. I still think you can get production out of those spots, Cam, whether it's, you know, it, it might be opponent-based, right? Like one week, if, if you're facing a team like Texas Tech, right, that's a pass-heavy team, you might see more Ethan Burke that week. Uh, if you're facing a team that's uh, maybe a little more balanced, you might see a little more Justice Finkley in there that week at that other edge spot. So, uh, and, and maybe if you're facing a team that's more run-heavy, maybe you see a little more Jamon Tapp and get you uh, some a guy that can play with the uh, allow you to play with a bigger surface. Trey Bledsoe's a guy that can be on the edge situationally. So, I just like the fact that. It'll help PK understand how to better deploy his hybrid players, maybe switch some things up. Because DeMarvin Overshone, for all intents and purposes, was a hybrid player last year that they moved around, kind of a, a positionless guy. So get a better understanding of that. And then with your blitz packages, just figuring out better ways to get to the quarterback. I've always said at a place like Texas, and you kind of see this with Georgia and to a lesser extent Alabama, a Clemson's been this way. When, when you're at one of those schools where you can recruit elite defensive talent, if you're doing it the right way, you shouldn't need a ton of exotics to be really good on defense, right? Defense is, defense is the one side of the ball. Offense, you can mask your deficiencies to an extent. Defense is one of the side of the ball, though, where, man, if you don't have horses, you're going to get exposed at some point. And if you've got the horses, you shouldn't need to do a ton of exotics or a ton of outside-the-box stuff. But I do think when you, when you look at the fact that Texas was one of the best defensive fronts in the country last year at creating pressure, but the pressure didn't finish the play, not enough tip balls, not enough turnovers forced, not enough stops, not enough sacks, I think maybe just getting that little something extra puts you over the edge to uh, make more plays that directly impact the quarterback in the opposing offense. Like I said, it's not just sacks. It's tip balls. It's rush throws. It's PBUs. It's picks. It's stops. It's being a better third down defense between the 20s. So I don't know where you're, where you're at on that, Cam, but just a quick bit of research I've done, the very, very limited research I've done on Payam Sudat, that's what encourages me about that move. Jeff, I think that was a great point, but also I think maybe I was the only other person to hear that because apparently our emergency – uh, response test just went over the airways. So for a lot of people listening, <laughs> oh, we're no. sorry for that. Usually that's, we cannot schedule that. It, it happens, I believe, once a month. And unfortunately, it does seem to always happen during uh, the 10 to 11 o'clock hour. So to pit, did everybody did everybody just miss most of what I just said? Uh, I'll tell you what. We'll, <laughs> it'll be on the podcast page later because I don't want to repeat it because we got to talk some Texas basketball. But uh, – yeah, and I, I'm sorry, Texter. I like Cam said. It's I don't know why it's our time slot where the uh, emergency broadcast network has to play their tester, but it's such as life when you're but in the ten to noon spot. Off of that point, before we hit the break, it, it feels like well, some people are saying they they did hear it, so I, I guess it depends on where you're listening to and, and how you're listening to. I'm not sure if it affects actually the, the app. Um, that's a technical question okay. that I could hear. From Dave, but it'll, but it'll all be on the podcast page if you want to uh, hear what I said about Payam Sudat or anything else you might have missed during that little spiel right there. Let's talk some Texas basketball, Cam. And I want to I want to save some of this because I want to get Craig's thoughts on this as well. Dylan Mitchell coming back, and man, I up until about seventy two hours ago, I didn't think this was going to happen. But the closer you get to deadline time, the more guys have a chance to think and. You know, Dylan Mitchell's still in L.A., by the way, and still working out with teams. I think yeah. he had a workout with the Kings on Sunday, maybe or Monday. I forget. My days are running together. But at any rate, Dylan Mitchell's coming back, and I, I just wonder 
and Dylan hasn't said anything yet, but I do wonder whatever he's going to get in NIL compensation or whatever his stock is. Basically, I, I think it came down to one of two things. It, you know, the, the NIL money versus whatever money you were going to get from a team, especially if they weren't somebody wasn't willing to give you a guarantee and maybe you would just have to take a chance on getting a two-way contract where you know what your situation is at Texas, maybe didn't want to take that gamble. And I don't know, I'm spitballing here. Like I said, this is not inside information. I haven't, uh, I haven't heard from Dylan or nobody's – Dylan hasn't said anything on this. So it could be that. Uh, it could also be maybe the feedback just wasn't that good from the scouts in terms of what he needed to work on. That could be part of it or two. I, I, I think this is realistic, Cam. I was listening to Jeff Goodman and the guys on uh, Field of 68 talk about this last night. If Dylan Mitchell, if he can have, if he has the same year he had at Texas this, this coming season, if the 23-24 season looks a lot like his 22-23 season, and he's going to be drafted right around the same spot, then you figure, okay, go back to school because next year's a deeper draft. Maybe you're more likely to, even if you just improve a little bit, like your athleticism, you're still going to have all those raw tools that teams like. But if you can show that you can take some of that to the court and even show a little bit of improvement, you can get yourself in the first round in what's not going to be as deep a draft next year. I saw some theories online this morning, maybe last night, was that with Shedrick coming in, and, of course, you have Zarek on Yema maybe moving Mitchell to the wing. He, The problem with him playing the three – well, the problem with him playing the three is he didn't shoot – We no, he didn't take a single three-point attempt single last one. year. And I went and looked at uh, BartTorvik.com. It's a really good site. A lot of free analytical data on Bart Torvik. Does a great job, Bart does. And one thing that I looked at is Dylan Mitchell – on his field goal attempts, last season, let me pull up Dylan Mitchell's numbers real quick. Uh, last season, Dylan Mitchell, on just his raw numbers on field goal attempts, he was 75 for 118 from the field last year. If you look at his splits on Bart Torvik, what Bart Torvik considers a quote-unquote close two, which a close two is anything 10 feet into the basket, from the rim out to 10 feet. Now, remember the, the numbers I just talked about? He had 175 field goal attempts uh, for Dylan Mitchell. 87 of those were on close twos. So an overwhelming majority. He, and he shot almost 80% of those shots, which for Dylan Mitchell, a lot of those were dunks. So a really high percentage. If you go 10 feet out, and we know he didn't shoot any three, so basically from the free throw line extended to the three-point line extended and in, in that mid-range area, Seven for thirty-two. So you're talking mm. about a wing player who really doesn't ha- hasn't shown in game at the collegiate level that he's got a jump shot. Yeah. If he can improve in that, then yeah, he can function as a three. Because if you think about it, like Timmy Allen in a lot of situations last year was your three at times. He could function as a three, and I don't mm. think we would say Timmy Allen from an athleticism standpoint. It's almost like Dylan Mitchell is bizarro Timmy Allen, right? Timmy loved the mid range game. I always said, dude, analytics probably hate Timmy Allen, right? Takes a ton of mid range jumpers, uh, you know, doesn't really doesn't have a lot of dunk slash layups, doesn't shoot a lot of threes. The analytics don't like him; they think it's a lot of wasted shots. Dylan Mitchell, on the other hand, ha- has pretty much no mid range game that we've seen to this point, but an uber athlete who can finish in traffic and be a dominant finisher at the rim. So. Dylan Mitchell can function as your three, but that's why I think Texas is still pursuing 
Arthur Kaluma, formerly of Creighton. Like he's he pulled his name out of the draft yesterday, and his agent was telling people, I think I don't remember if it was John Rothstein or Jeff Goodman that reported it. I've been following all those guys, and I know everybody's tracking this stuff down. I think it was Rothstein though that heard from Arthur Kaluma's agent that he will not definitely not be back at Creighton. He was already in the portal, but he will definitely not be back at Creighton and is looking at other schools and. Texas was mentioned in there. Yep. Uh, Arizona was mentioned. I think Texas Tech was mentioned. Maybe Tennessee. Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama. Kentucky, yeah. A lot of Kentucky buzz with Kaluma. So Texas is looking at Kaluma. And then I think you know, take your chances with Kaluma. And then now that you know what the portal landscape is, you know who's there, now you can really call it and see, okay, let's go attack this guard. You need a guard with some length. And I think that either a guard slash wing with some length and another guy who's just a pure shooter I think is really what they want to add, which makes sense, which is – for them, if you would have added Caleb Love and Cam Spencer, that would have been, for what they were looking for, it would have been a perfect finish. But Cam Spencer's no longer considering Texas, and Caleb Love is out of Arizona. So Texas kind of starting over from, not from scratch, but at least the, the pool has gotten smaller. But they, they can add a couple of bodies. But I don't know, Cam, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm optimistic about this nine-man nucleus with Tyrese Hunter, Max Asmus, Dylan Mitchell, Caden Shedrick, Dylan DeSue, uh, Kendall Weaver, Zarek and Yemma, Alex Anamekwe, and Brock Cunningham. It's not a bad nine-man rotation. So I definitely think Texas will at least try and get one more guard for the bench, but you still think they're going to pursue Kaluma? Because I figured with Mitchell coming back, then that was it. No, because I think Kaluma, if you get Kaluma, it just gives you that much more versatility in your front court. Like You could play Kaluma and Mitchell together, and ideally in that situation, you could definitely play Mitchell at the four and Kaluma at the three, or, or vice versa. Uh, you could go big and play Kaluma, Kaluma or Mitchell with Shedrick and DeSue. Uh, you can bring Shedrick off the bench. Like, there's a number of different things you could do. I, I just I think it's going to be more of a situation where maybe Arthur Kaluma looks at Texas and kind of reads the tea leaves and say, "Look, if Dylan Mitchell's coming back, he's not coming back to play 17 and a half minutes a game and yeah. be and be in the uh, the supporting role that he was late in the season." I do like where the depth's at in this team because uh, a month ago. The sky was falling, right? AJ Johnson was always gone. Said, I've always said complaining. Holland com- was gone. Complaining about roster building in college basketball in the middle of April, it's like complaining about football recruiting in June. It does had, you no good. It we makes had no text sense. coming in two days after the season ended asking why is RT sitting on his butt? Well, here we are June 1st, and everyone that could basically return did except for Artera Morris and Rowan, Rowan Brumball, right? Two kids who – you know, probably weren't going to be a, a huge part of the future for Texas. Rowan was a developmental guy. They they would have loved to have Terrio back, but it was the same thing as as what they had with Ron Holland. Look, we can we're going to we've given you all the assurances we can yeah. give you about what your role will be, and if this place isn't for you, then hey, no hard feelings. Go go where you feel you need to go. Which, by the way, Texas fans, don't tell me you didn't like Arkansas taking the gut punch with Ron Holland announcing yesterday that he signed with G League Ignite. Some great message board responses after that. Yeah, I just I love the message board geniuses kind of grab that and be like, Arkansas fans are mad, and it was. Uh, I'll say this about message boards, man. There's a lot of great people that post on message boards, but there is that like five percent, that two to five percent of message board posters that are. Um. How can I say this? The pimple on the buttocks of your fan base. They're, yeah. They're the ones that you're embarrassed that they wear your school colors or flash your school colors or support your program. 
Which percentage does the poster who said that Quinn Ewers is going to have a bad year because of the oil business surrounding his family? Is that the the pimple five percent or the smart ninety percent? That was more of the that's the pimple. Okay, 5%. just make just double checking there. The pimple five percent is also the, the I saw a post on the Purdue board that uh, I think it was. Gosh, what happened? I'm trying to think of what it was late in the year. Maybe it was Bijan going pro. I don't remember, but they figured that was the right time to go poach Sark from Texas. I'm like, when has Purdue ever come to poach the head football coach at Texas? Just Texas fans, you can say a lot about your program, but in the annals of college football history, you can rest easy that you're on a higher rung than Purdue. Mm-hmm. 